The story of Purim. What a strange holiday. Anybody ever been in Israel on Purim? There we go. A couple of us. It's nuts. I don't know why they do it, to be honest with you. But Jewish people, especially Orthodox Jews, get nuts on Purim. They go crazy. They get drunk on their keister. They dress up. By the way, if you come tonight, and you better come tonight, 7 o'clock, you got to dress up. And there's some costumes in a box outside. They dress up. They make lots of noise. And for the very, very ultra-Orthodox, what they do is they get so drunk that they can't tell the difference between Mordecai and Haman. There you go. All right. So let me just give you a review of what's going on in, uh, in, in uh, Shushan during the time of Mordecai uh, and Esther. To say the least, the situation is not favorable uh, for the Jewish people. Um, Israel's enemies seem to be prospering. They're condemned to die. And time is running out as the clock is ticking to their end. Esther and Mordecai were about to discover the God of great reversals. The God of great reversals. And it can happen to you, too. It can happen to everyone. It can happen to me. Esther 9, verse 1. I'll be reading a lot of scripture this morning. Now, in the twelfth month, that is, the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day, the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed. On the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. Esther 9, verse 1. So let me give you a little historical background. After the exile from Egypt, there is basically um, four, you could call them major exiles, but certainly four times that Israel was under foreign rule. There is the Babylonian Empire, That was uh, from 423 B.C. to 372 B.C. And there will be a test after the services. There will be a test after the services. They were under the Medo-Persian Empire. This was from 372 to 348 B.C. They were under the Grecian Empire from 371 B.C. to 140 B.C., and of course they were under the Roman Empire during the time of our Messiah Yeshua. But it was during their time of captivity in the Medo-Persian Empire that the history written in the book of Esther takes place. It was a story about the invisible hand of God. By the way, his name is never mentioned anywhere in the book. The invisible hand of God who's able to reverse the situation in favor of of his people. Now, the Jewish people during the time of Esther and Mordecai, I believe they're facing four harsh and disturbing realities, four um, big problems, if you will. First, they're under captivity in the Medo Persian Empire. They're facing discrimination, they're facing abuse, they're facing suffering, and just every part of their daily life is hassled. The Persian king during this time is King Xerxes I, or in Hebrew, Ahasuerus. 
Xerxes was born to Darius I and Atosa, who was, by the way, the daughter of Cyrus the Great, who was the conqueror of Babylon. And the king, Ahasuerus, Xerxes, will later choose Esther as the queen of Persia instead of Queen Vashti after a beauty pageant. You want to find out more about that? You need to come to the poor and play tonight. Second, Haman. I love giving messages on poor. That's because with all the interruptions, the message can be short. You know what I mean? You know who? The arch enemy of the Jewish people is promoted as second in command under the king alone. Esther, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. After those things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Third, there's been a law that's decreed, a law that's passed for the total destruction and annihilation of the Jewish people in all 127 provinces of the land of Persia. Again, I'm reading from Esther 3.13. And the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is in the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. Fourth, a date has already been determined for the eradication of the entirety of the Jewish people. And the Medo-Persian law, once stated and written and sealed by the king, cannot be voided. Again, Esther chapter 3 and verse 7. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast poor, that is, the lot, before Haman to determine the day and the month until it fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Well, the book of Esther describes in detail various different reactions to this frightening situation of the Jewish people. First, there's the reaction of the enemy. Esther, chapter 3, verse 15. The couriers went out, hastened by the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in Shushan, the citadel. So the king and Haman... sat down to drink. But the city of Shushan was in confusion. There was also the reaction of Mordecai. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the square in front of the king's gate For no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. Then there was the reaction of the Jews themselves. Verse 3, chapter 4. 
In every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and in ashes. There was the instruction of Mordecai to his cousin Esther. Esther 4 and verse 8. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her, that he might, make, he might command her to go to the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. But then there's the problem of Esther. Chapter 4, verse 11. And the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. But there's also the challenge of Mordecai in the next verses, 13 and 14. Then Mordecai told them to answer Esther, quote, Do not think in your heart that you will escape into the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And then there's the courage of Queen Esther, verses 15 and 16. Then Esther told him to return this answer to Mordecai. Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Well, as you continue to read the book of Esther, and I encourage you, to read the entirety of the book of Esther. We see that the Lord proves his divine favor to Queen Esther as she forgets her own safety for the sake of her people. First of all, her life is spared. Chapter 5, verse 2. And so it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And her first request is granted. Esther chapter 5, verse 4. So Esther answered, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. And oh, by the way, not just her first request, But her second request as well. I'm continuing in verses 4 and 5. And then I'm going to go all the way down to to verse 8. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly. That he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. And at the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, what is your petition? It shall be granted you. What is your request? Up to half my kingdom, it shall be done. Then Esther answered and said, My petition and request is this. 
if I found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Well, the book of Esther describes vividly also the condition of what I would call a wicked heart. You see, the wicked celebrates when he should be mourning and repenting. Chapter 5, verse 9. So you know who, Haman, went out on that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate and that he did not stand to tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Well, the wicked can have it all, but they're still not satisfied. And that's exactly what we read. Also, the delight of the wicked is the destruction of the righteous. We live in that situation even today. Esther 5 and verse 14. Then his wife, you know whose wife? Haman. And all his family said to him, let a gallows be made 50 cubits high. And in the morning, suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman. And so he had the gallows made. But, but, during the 24-hour delay for the revelation of Esther's banquet, The hand of God is working behind the scenes to reverse the situation in favor of God's people. One, God is working while the righteous are sleeping. God is working while the righteous are sleeping. Chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. That night, the king couldn't sleep. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers, who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Oh, by the way, timing is also under God's control. Verses 4 and 5. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now guess who? Haman... Had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servants said to him, to the king, Haman is standing there. Standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. Well, there are four great reversals in the book of Esther. The first one is the reversal of situation. I'm reading extra, uh, chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. So Haman came in, and the king asked him, What shall be done from the man to whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman, Haman thought in his heart, Whom would the king delight to honor more than moi? And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has written, which has a royal crest placed on its head. 
Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of the king's most noble princes, and let and that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback throughout the city square, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And so the king said to Haman, Listen up, bro. No, I said, uh, Hasten, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai the Jew, who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. So Haman took the robe and the horse and his pride. No, I just added that. Arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback throughout the city square and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done to the man the king delights to honor. And afterward, Mordecai went back to the king's gate. But Haman hastened to his house, mourning and with his head covered. Well, what about the second reversal? Well, we find a reversal of sentence. Esther chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. So the king and Haman went, went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Up to half my kingdom it shall be done. Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king... Let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. Then King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he, and where is he, who would dare to presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is the wicked Haman. So Haman was was shaking in his boots before the king and the queen. Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman... Stood before Queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. And when the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. And then the king said, Will he also assault the queen while I'm in the house? As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Now Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Oh, 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 look! Oh, you have to be old enough to get that one. Look, the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang his tushy on it. All right. So they hang Haman. I hope this is as much fun for you as it is for me. So they hanged him on the gallows that had been prepared for Mordecai. And then the king's wrath was subsided. What about the third reversal? Well, there's a reversal of supremacy, isn't there? 
Esther 8, verses 1 and 2. On the day that King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. So the king took of his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther reported Mordecai over the house of Haman. And finally... There's a reversal of success. Esther chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Now in the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day, the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed. On the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred, in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. The Jews gathered together in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who thought their harm. And no one could withstand them because fear of them fell upon all the people. Wow. God turned the tables against his enemies. You see, in the story of Esther, we see how Haman's plans... To strike down and kill and destroy the Jewish people, in fact, ended with his own demise. And likewise, likewise, in the cross and resurrection of our Messiah, Yeshua, we see how the evil done to Messiah was the way in which evil was overcome and defeated. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin... To be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you know what it takes for God to be the God of reversals? It takes His absolute knowledge of the beginning from the end. His absolute knowledge of the beginning from the end. There is nothing that that, um, goes out of his view. There is nothing that is out of his understanding. His plans for the end of the age were birthed at the beginning of the age. And there are plenty of examples in scripture just like this. Remember Joseph? You know, that kid who was a little bit too stuck up. That kid who told his mother and his father and his brothers that they were all going to bow down to him. That young man who was left in a pit to die, but was raised up to be a servant, then to be the head of a prison, then to be the head of a country, second only to Pharaoh. When he finally met his brothers, do you remember what he said to them? You meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. And what about Shaul of Tarsus? He absolutely hated the believers in Israel. He targeted them. He killed them. He searched for them to be brought back to Jerusalem for trial and possibly execution. And yet God took this man who was zealous for the destruction of the believers in Yeshua and he blinded him to the truth. Raised him up. Reversed his very life. And had him write the majority of the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant Scriptures. And give us hope that even a Saul of Tarsus can be reversed by God's mighty hand. 
And what about God's plan of salvation? He takes what was supposed to be a garden life, where man and woman, Adam and Eve, would have absolutely no cares in the world, all the food they could ever want to eat, all the animals they could ever want to pet and commune with. And yet, because of one lie, you can be like God. They sinned. But God took that situation too, did he not? And reversed it. Because the sin of Adam became the sin of all mankind, but before it ever happened, God had already prepared for the sacrifice of his son to be the atonement for all of mankind. It was his blood splattered on mankind that allows us to have salvation. That is the total reversal of the evil one's plans against the people of Israel. Satan thought he won at the cross. He was defeated at the cross. And through the resurrection of God's Son, our Messiah, we too can have a reversal of of fortune. And so, what about you? Are you like one of the nine lepers who took what he thought was the blessing of God but never had any relationship with him? Do you understand that each one of us was born lost, born spiritually dead, born, Satan thought, under his thumb? But God has provided a reversal for us too. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of his son offered for us that if we would confess with our mouth that he is the Lord and believe in our heart, that God raised him from the dead, the ultimate reversal of fortune could be accomplished. Life out of death. Life out of death. And so this morning, on this morning of reversals, I wonder if there's anyone here who needs a reversal in their life. I'm wondering if there's anyone here who needs a reversal of the outcome of their life from death to life. And so for just a moment, I'm going to ask that we all just remain silent. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And if anyone has to say this prayer with me, if you need to reverse the future of your life, if you need to let God do what he did so that you can become a child of God, if you can walk down the aisle to that chuppah and see your bridegroom, Yeshua, waiting for you, then just pray this prayer with me. Abba Father, I'm headed the wrong way. I'm headed straight to hell. And it's a big, wide road. And I've got lots of company. That's what makes it feel normal. But it's not your desire for my life. And you've made a way for me to reverse my fortune and to come to you in truth and righteousness and love. It's only by the death, burial, and resurrection of your son offered willingly, and he accepted his role willingly, and my belief in that role and that sacrifice, it's only by that that I can come to you eternally and not be the property of the enemy. 
And so, Father, this morning, I give up. I give up my rights. I give up my way. I give up my struggles, and I give them all to you in the name of Yeshua. And I claim him as my life and your provision. Change my direction today. Reverse my fortune. And I pray this in your son's name, Abba. Amen.